Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined, as always, by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Thank you for your purchase. And my adulthood friend, Minty. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Right, before we dive into this episode, listen up. We've got a Patreon page. If you check it out, you'll find it's a great way to support us if you want to do that, if you like what we're doing. And if you want to get more out of us, then that's definitely the place to go. Patreon.com slash our three cents. There's loads of tiers of, of, of like pledging available and some, some great perks available and even greater perks if you want to pledge even more. There's full bonus episodes, uh, like I mean, which are amazing, including our most recent one, which is a special with TJ Davis, the legendary vocalist behind soundtracks such as Sonic R and Metropolis Street Racer. You can hear hear that. There's also loads of deleted scenes and outtakes that are, I mean, <laughs> who we? They're good. And access to the Patreon exclusive Discord channel, which is just fantastic place to be for video game conversation. All of our guests from our special bonus episodes are part of that as well. So if you want to chat with the developers of Blue Fire or RNG Party or JP, JP Switchmania, TJ, TJ's in there. So why not have a look at our Patreon page and uh, and, and join in, join in with the us. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we've gathered here today in the presence of me and my sixth favorite video game of all time. And I'm so excited to talk about it. I've possibly been more excited about talking about this game than any other game on my list, oh, wow. um, which is, which is, well, it's saying something in it. Who knows if it's true, but before we dive into what we've been talking about, no. No, before we dive into what we've been playing in the last week, we have to return to the scene of the quiz where well, Chris managed to, claw a point back last week so he's only trailing by two points to minty come on and my goodness have i got a round for you today come on quiz this week i've taken inspiration from uh, a question of sport of all things hello and i'm doing a riff on the home or away round where uh, in in that show obviously you'd be a sportsman and you'd be given the choice to either answer a home question which would be a question about the sport that you were a part of uh, for a single point or you could gamble on uh, going for an away question which would just be about sport in general for a, a possible two points Now, what I've done is I've devised several questions that I feel are suited to your individual strengths when it comes to video gaming knowledge and areas of interest. Very good. If you opt for one of those yourself and get it right, you'll get one point. Or you can risk it and take on an away question, which will come from the other person's pool for a possible two points. 
to uh, to give a, to a general overview of, of where I gauge your areas of expertise. Chris's questions take into consideration his love of rhythm games, uh, the Mega Drive, the Saturn, things that you've spoken about on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, whereas Minty's centre uh, more around, uh, you know, JRPGs, uh, Nintendo, SNES, N64, that, that, that sort of, to, to name a few potential topics. I'm not saying those are the topics. <laughs> um, in true sporting fashion, we're going to toss a coin to see who goes first. Chris, heads or tails? Tails. It's heads. Oh, Minty wow. is going to go first. Minty, okay. would you like to go for a home or an away question? I'd like to start with a home question. Let's gauge it. Okay, here we go. What was the best-selling SNES game not to be published by Nintendo? Oh, cripes. Oh, it's going to be uh, Street Fighter 2. That is the correct answer. That Magic. is one point to Minty. Well, <laughs> well done. done. Yeah. Well done. To, uh, yeah, to give you a bit of further information on that, eight of the top ten games in terms of the best-selling games on the SNES are Nintendo games. The other two are both Street Fighter 2. <laughs> There's about 50. <laughs> Over to you, Chris. Do you want a home question or an away question? <sighs> right, I'm going to gamble and just say away. And then I can always try and claw okay. back some home points for the, the later rounds. Originating in 1996, what is considered to be the most successful JRPG franchise with approximately 368 million games sold from its series? 1996. Uh, Pokemon. That is the correct answer. Oh, well done, thank Chris. God for that. Honestly, I, oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to you, Mincy. Would you like a home or an away question? I'll have an away question. Oh, here we go. Okay. Here we go. With a figure of 750,000 units sold, which is the most successful arcade cabinet of all time? Oh, boy. Mm. Oh, let's go with the classic. Is it Donkey Kong? It is not Donkey Kong, I'm afraid, Minty. Chris, would you know the answer to that? I would have a stab in the dark and say maybe Space Invaders. That would be the correct answer. Okay. Chris, would you like a home or an away question? Uh, Home. What was the last game to be officially released for the Sega Saturn in Europe? Was it A, Deep Fear, B, Shining Force 3, C, Panzer Dragoon Saga, or D, Burning Rangers? I think it was Deep Fear. That's the correct answer. Oh. Well done. Another point for Chris. <laughs> Three lovely and little those points. Were the four last games released in Europe. So, were they? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So well done. I mean, a heck of a lineup for the last three well certainly i haven't played deep fear never heard of it but it's meant to be a good survival horror game oh good good for you <laughs> good, good for them <laughs> minty third question for you home or away uh, i'm gonna go for another home please. okay which of these gamecube games was not originally being developed for the n64 was it a eternal darkness b pikmin c Star Fox adventures d Doshin the Giant. Uh, I th- oh gosh, oh that was. I think it's Pikmin. Pikmin is the correct answer. Yes. Well done, Minty. Okay, Chris, your third question. Would you like to go home or would you like to go away? <sighs> Let's just throw caution to the wind. Let's have an away again. The first warp zone in the original Super Mario Brothers allows you to warp to which three worlds? Oh, <laughs> right. Hang on. <laughs> Oh, I should I should at least have a stab because I've watched so many speedruns over the years. 
I know in the speedrun route you take two different warps. The second one obviously takes you to World 8. So the first one... Ooh. Does it take you to 3-1, 4-1 or 5-1? That is not correct, oh, I'm afraid, Chris. damn it! Minty, do you know what the correct answer is? I think it's 2-1, 3-1, 4-1. That is correct. That yeah. is correct. Yeah. Oh. Right, okay. I'm going to do one last question each. Minty, what would you like to go for? Oh, I'm going to go away. <laughs> okay. Oh. In 1992, the Tetris theme tune was remixed and released in the charts by Dr. Spin. Dr. Spin was a pseudonym for which famous composer? Mike Oldfield. That is not correct. Uh. <laughs> Chris, do you know the answer? Oh, I don't think I do. I didn't know it was someone Ooh. else. I didn't know it was a, a proper person. Yeah, it was uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. No. Really? Yeah. Yeah, oh, fuck off. Oh. <laughs> okay, Chris, there is an away question available or there is a home question available. What would you like to go for? What are the scores from this round this week so far? Chris, you have three points. Minty has two. Oh, right away. Let's do it. I definitely shouldn't have done that. Oh. <laughs> okay. In The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, there is hidden a super secret bonus room. The name of a Zelda super fan is mentioned in the text speech as you enter the room, what is the name of that fan? Ooh. I'm trying to bring up like photographic memory here because I've seen the screenshot. I know it exists. It was from Nintendo Power, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah. Um, it was some competition. Right. I'll say the first name. If the first name is wrong, I'll just say fuck it. If, if I manage to get the first name right, I'm just going to have to guess the second because <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. Right. First name is Dean. No, well, you probably should have got that bit right. His first name was Chris. Oh, so, um, oh I had no chance Lindsay? then. It's Chris Houlihan. Chris Houlihan is the correct oh, answer. The Houlihan room. You know what? There's two questions left. Oh, but one. it does mean that Minty will have to go for an away question. Yeah, Let's on, do now. it. Okay. So this is for two points, Minty. Yep. What was the name of Sega's first home console? Oh, cripes. The Genesis? <sighs> that is not correct. I have no idea. Is it the SG-1000? That is correct. You don't get a point for that, though. No, but let's of see if you can I get a, one more point for this one. This is your last home question that is available. What was the name of the Luminez game developed for mobile phones that also serves as a description of the game's two primary genres? It is... I played it a lot, so I should know this. Uh, is it Puzzle and Music? That is correct. Oh, well done, well Chris. Done. So... You have drawn level by uh, winning this round four points to two. Yes. Well done, Chris. Yes. Oh, that was good. Good. So what have we been playing this week? You know what? I'm going to kick it off because you're going to hear me whitter on for quite a while in a bit. <laughs> so I have continued making progress with Children of Mortar, which is just fantastic. I mean, I'm not sure how far I am into the game. I'm, I'm into like the third world. I'm into like the last area of the third world, which might be quite near the end. And I mean, the story is just, oh, the story is fantastic. Like I genuinely exclaimed, oh no, at one point, like, oh, like out loud. Oh God. Oh, it was really, yeah, big stuff, big drama. It's fantastic. And like, I'm at the point where I'm playing I'm doing runs like quite strategically. I'm thinking about sort of the order in which I'm doing things and, and a, a bit more like that. So that's that's really, really good fun. And well, at the point when I wrote these notes, I'd said, I'm nowhere near that point with Returnal. But by this point, given the fact that I've become absolutely obsessed with it, I'm now at the point where I, I, I'm feeling like in Returnal, I'm now really understanding the intricacies of the game and how to strategize my runs uh, and stuff. And 
oh my goodness, I cannot get enough of it. It is, it is such a satisfying game to play. Like, it just feels so good to play. Everything about it, the way that it, it moves, the way that it, it feels to fight, and the combat and the exploration, it's brilliant. It's really quite brilliant. I'll be honest, like, I'm... I'm I'm a bit annoyed that I haven't fi- like finished the main story of Children of Mortar because I'm I'm really not feeling the pull to get back to that now that I've really got my teeth into Returnal. Uh, although obviously, like Children of Mortar does have the advantage of being a bit more pick up and playable on the Switch, so you know I, I'm I, I will I will still do some runs from time to time. But and just just the no loading of Returnal, yeah. I mean it, it counts for a lot. Like it ca- it counts for as much as being able to pick up and play with the Switch on the go as it does like, well, I may as well just dip in for a run because I turn the console on and I'm playing, you know, it's, it's yeah. But yeah, Returnal is, I must say, it's absolutely stunning. Like my persistent thought when playing it is that it feels like, if it, it feels like what a next gen Metroid game could be. I mean, not, not like being a roguelike, but just the general, the style of it, like the fluidity. If it had like a lock-on system for the combat, then it would work brilliantly as a as a third-person Metroid game. I mean, there's no way in hell that the Switch could run anything like Returnal. <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe this could be another one for the Switch Pro, uh, which, it, to be honest, like, given, like, the the recent sort of leaks and stuff about, like, um, was it one of the OLED screen developers, like, referring to the Switch Pro in, like, official uh, minutes of a meeting, it feels like that's all but confirmed uh, to be revealed at E3. And yeah, I mean, Return was going to keep me happy for, I think, well, and equally miserable <laughs> enough time uh, <laughs> to keep me going until I get Metroid Prime 4. I, I know it's I know it's a big, big price tag and it's not necessarily the most accessible game in terms of sort of high difficulty bar uh, to entry. If you own a PS5, get Returnal. It's, if nothing else, it just... Just feel the rain from the HD rumble is just like, oh, so sumptuous. I got like, I got like the melee weapon now. I found the me- like a, a, a sword that you fight with. Oh, I feels, <laughs> feels so, so good. So good. Anyway, I'm desperate to play Resident Evil Village. So I may put Returnal down for a bit and play that. But uh, I, I decided to get myself, try and get myself in the mood for Village by playing Seven, as it's free on the the PlayStation Plus collection. And I thought, I'd, you know, I'd give it a go outside of the VR experience that, that genuinely traumatised me. <laughs> I, I lasted about fifteen minutes before I started freaking out. So I, I don't know if I'm going to play any more of that. Like I know the story continues right on from Seven into Village, but apparently there is like a, a recap at the start of Village, which is meant to be a bit less. A bit less intense, a bit more, uh, well, a bit more like Resident Evil 4 is what all the reviews are saying that kind of makes me feel like I might be able to stomach it. But yeah, we'll see. Played a little bit more of Mortal Kombat as well, which has uh, been great fun. I've been doing the classic tournament towers and that's just a great way of like, unlocking loads more stuff in the crypt. It's just, it's just, re- it's really satisfying to make progress. Like I think you said this, Chris, like when you're doing Binding of Isaac runs and how after every run, like early in the game, after every run, you'll unlock about six new things. Yeah. It feels yeah. like that with like Mortal Kombat where even if you just want to turn it on and do like one fight, you can do something that will contribute to your overall progress. And that's just, you know, it's just really satisfying. And I also dive back into my managerial career of Arsenal on FIFA 21, just to make myself feel a bit better about, you know, our season IRL <laughs> and uh, thrashed Liverpool 6-0, which was Lovely. fun. And uh, and I must say, Lionel Messi is working out certainly a lot better <laughs> as a replacement for, uh, for Willian. So there we go. He scored a goal. Give him some credit. 
Minty, what have you played this week? Not a huge amount, I'm afraid. I've mostly been playing Hospitality Manager Simulator VR. Very realistic. Uh, really lifelike, and that's, that's neither here nor there. What else have I been playing? A little bit more of Isaac. Yeah, I've been flip-flopping between trying to get everybody's uh, symbol on their post-its unlocked. Most characters I need to finish Greedia Mode on, and Greedia Mode is not fun. I don't... like. <laughs> Yeah, it's a chore. It's it's a real chore. It's but but then once I have enough of that, I do a daily run, and I think, oh, this is good. It's either just a, it's just a run to the heart, or it's it's a, it's a it's a really fun run actually that I had this week, which was Maggie with Thunder Thighs and How to Jump. Did you play that one? No, I didn't know. Basically, these I don't know if it's if it's just for the run or whether that's a synergy, but How to Jump. And Thunder Thighs basically gives you a shockwave attack. Oh, wow. Really cool. Oh, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. That makes the game fun again. So then I can just go and be like, oh, I need to do a, I need to do a Darkroom run with, uh, with, with Samson. I need to do this, that, and the other with this, that character. I always open up the game being like, okay, I've got to get these greedy mode runs done. But <laughs> then I start playing normally and I just start having fun again. So I, I wonder if I just need to start doing normal runs and then move on to a greedy run after I've warmed up a little, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I haven't really played any Pokemon Snap, which is a shame. I'm, I'm going to get back into that tomorrow. I also played yesterday, a little blast from the past. Oh no. Freddy Fish 3. Oh! This... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, sorry. Wow. From what I understand, Freddy Fish is an old school, nine, late 90s point and click adventure that's pretty much designed to, to keep your kids occupied. Right, here's the backstory. Mrs. Minty grew up playing the Freddy Fish games and she found them on Steam yesterday. So she she bought the entire collection and she said, oh, why don't you, why don't you, do you want to give Freddy Fish a go? I said, okay, yes, yes, that, that, that sounds good. I completed the game in about 30 minutes. <laughs> not, not growing up with it, I didn't really know what I was in for because I, when I play a point and click game, I like to be thorough because you never know that yeah, there might be something in the bin, for example, that, or there might be something underneath the cat bed that will help you open up the gate which also has a bush next to it. So you need to click the bush just in case you need um, you need the flower to uh, curry favour with, with a difficult woman or some such <laughs> because she has a brooch that's in the shape of, I don't know, a lockpick, which you need to open up a treasure chest, which has just layers and layers of esoteric things that, um, that open up esoteric puzzles. So I went in with that mindset and you can click literally everything in Freddy Fish, but none of it has any meaningful benefit outside of a little like animation. Ooh. So you'll, you'll click a shell, an fish will pop out. You can click the one next to it, a different coloured fish will pop out. Lovely. Blah, blah, blah. So they'll do all these little animations, and your inventory is still as sparse as when you started the game. So without that, without that nostalgia, um, I got uh, really quite upset with it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I can click on so many things, but nothing's happening and not, I'm not getting anywhere. But I, I completed it. I stuck with it. Well done, you. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And that was it, to be honest with you. The Freddy Fish games, I've, I've played very small bits of some of the games from that series. I don't know why. I don't know when. But um, they're, they're made by a company called Humongous Entertainment, which is 
founded by Ron Gilbert of Monkey Island fame. So it does actually have a lineage ah. to point and click royalty, as it were. Yeah, yeah. That's just a little bit of trivia for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. How about you, Chris? What have you played this week? It's been a week of stolen gaming moments for me. It's a, a week where my day job has been quite heavy. So I've had plenty of times in which to play games, but not very big chunks of time, as it were. Like I, there's little 15 minute windows here and there, but that's not really enough to really get into anything. So, you know, you, you can tell it's been a light week. I've only booted up Genshin once this week <laughs> because I, He's I know getting I need, better. He's getting better. Yeah, I know I need to knuckle down that game and complete a few quests to open up more of the world. All of them are going to take me, you know, 30 minutes each at least or something. I just haven't had the motivation in the little pockets of time I've had to, to do that. So that's kind of been put to one side for a bit. I did beat Monster Attack or the first Earth Defense Force on, oh, yeah. on its third difficulty now, meaning that I've got through easy, normal and hard. And I'm now about 10 stages into the next difficulty called Chaos. Oh, and it is starting to get very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> but this this added difficulty, it kind of makes the game a bit more like an arcade shooter like Robotron because you, you really have to manage the space around you. You have to manage when you're reloading so you're not leaving yourself exposed. Yeah. And it's still a, a pretty mindless game, but you do actually have to employ some strategy at that point. And it, it kind of makes it better, I think. The, the harder it is, it does make it better. If I manage to get through Chaos, the next difficulty is titled Inferno. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you know if I make any progress towards that lofty goal in the next week or two. But who knows? It, like I said, it is getting tough. I still haven't picked up Snap or Returnal. I'm sat on enough in-store credit at CEX to pick up either one of them if they phase into stock anywhere near me. But this last weekend, mm. I did go out hoping it was in one of them. Wasn't the case. So, you know, it wasn't to be, I guess, on, on this particular occasion. That's a shame. I, I will pick up both, I'm sure, at some stage. But yeah, it's just quite a lot of money and, and not a lot of time to play them for the minute. What I have played... Uh, in, in little chunks is a little bit of two very different racing games. I have played Gran Turismo 6 on the PlayStation 3, which was the last kind of numbered Gran Turismo game. And I've played the bizarrely titled Speed 3 on the Switch. Now, for, for these two games, I was put off playing Gran Turismo 6 for years for two different reasons. Firstly, I'd always assumed the series at that point had become so kind of piston head heavy that I just wouldn't be able to make head nor tail of the regular career mode. And secondly, I'd, I'd heard that the install and update time for the game from like a fresh launch was about 10 hours long. Oh, wow. And I thought that's that's ludicrous. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes sometimes curiosity gets the better of you. So Big Bobby Cart. <laughs> I can happily say that on the first point, this is easily the most accessible Gran Turismo in the whole series. So at that point, at the end of the PlayStation 3's life, it had... Lots of snappy user interface changes to make getting into races quicker. It relegated a lot of the car tinkering to kind of optional side menus. So you didn't have to do that if you weren't interested or, or you didn't know what was going on like me. But on the second point, the PS3 honestly had to sit rumbling in the background for about half a day before the game was operational. So that is absolutely oh true. God. Like installation was so, so slow that I, I put it on in the morning. I sat down doing some other work on my laptop and the the bar didn't seem to be moving on screen. So I got a piece of electrical tape to mark where it got up to. Did, did <laughs> work for half an hour and then turned over <laughs> and was like, oh no, there is some tangible progress. I can see it's moved a little bit. And as stupid as that was, overall it was worth it. Like it's it's a it's a sim racer that's quite accessible. It's got loads of content if you, if you want to, you know, race here, there and everywhere. There's about a billion cars and tracks. And, and most impressively, it looks 
remarkable for the console it's on. Like it easily beats out a lot of early PS4 stuff. It kicks pretty much every racing game on the Switch well into touch as well. A very impressive game, really, for the time. I suppose my my curiosity has been been sated on that one. This kind of segues neatly, I guess, into uh, a Speed 3, <laughs> on the other hand, because, oh boy, <laughs> like you, you've both asked me before where the limit is for me on bad games, and I think this is it. I think I found it. Uh, I, I honestly, I think Speed 3 is the worst game I've possibly ever played, but certainly the worst game on the Switch. And as far as I can tell, there was never a Speed 1 and 2, unless the game is pretending that it's a canonical sequel to the Speed films. And the driver I'm controlling is, is Sandra Bullock. <laughs> like, it's possible. Brilliant. It's as bare bones a racer as it can be. Like you've got six tracks, just six, compared to Gran Turismo that has hundreds. It has a handful of cars that all handle identically. It looks dreadful. It performs worse than dreadful. And <laughs> I, I don't think it's got any redeeming features. Like how often do you hear me say that? <laughs> like you mentioned Big Bobby Car, the recurring joke of this show and my collection. Yeah. But for, for what it was... It was a serviceable game. Like it's, it's a simple open world collectathon. It's got straightforward, friendly racing chucked in. It's, it's fine. Like if you're younger, you're probably going to have a really nice time. Obviously, it's not aimed at me, but I had an okay time as well. But I've never heard anybody else talk about it as much as you, though. So, but to be fair, I, don't, I don't talk to a lot of kids. But, um. but, but Speed 3 fails at the absolute basics of the genre. Like it has non-existent AI. It has difficulty modes that don't change driver behavior at all, but just adds more laps to each race. Oh, fucking (laughs) hell. The the first series I played, it was like, oh, it's three laps. And it's like, okay, right, I've won by at least 50 seconds. Right, next series, five laps. I've won by a minute and a half. (laughs) Like, it it doesn't get any more difficult. It has car damage that doesn't affect car performance, (laughs) meaning that it's, it's possible to lose three of your four wheels and still be driving at top speed and taking corners as if nothing's happened. Like it's it's madness. I can't believe this game exists. To be fair, I've just had a look on the Nintendo website, and the first thing it says on the blurb is Speed Three Grand Prix is not a simulation racing game. So I mean, you've only got yourself to blame uh, for, for your expectations there. To be honest, I mean, I just ah, I don't know. Like obviously, I, I collect games. I buy a lot of games. I collect games. This was ten pounds in a shop, and I thought I've never heard of that never heard of that it's always interesting when i see something i don't know so i picked it up for 10 pounds i i can't believe that this is on a cartridge i, I can't believe this this was actually bought licensed and then printed onto a cartridge like th- this will have more longevity than some of the best ever digital games at the moment i could take this game to my grave and yet the witness no no way it's gone <laughs> it's just what is going on what's going yeah, on yeah reasonable so yeah that's that's my week it sounds rewarding <laughs> sounds rewarding and fulfilling well done you so the time has come my friends my friends to talk of other things Ooh, of yeah. shoes and ships and sealing wax and cabbages and kings <laughs> it's time to talk about my sixth favourite video game of all time a few weeks back when I spoke about Link's Awakening I mentioned that I'd unintentionally started a a little run of handheld games that was starting with Link's Awakening, taking you through two extraordinary RPGs in the form of Golden Sun and Pokemon Gold, and I teased that I would talk about the best handheld game ever made as my sixth favourite video game of all time, 
And I think I've been looking forward to talking about this game, possibly more than any other, because of what a curveball it is. Jurassic Park? I've spoken about (laughs) Jurassic Park, and I've spoken about, you know, the celebrated hits of the Nintendo handheld systems from, you know, from the original Game Boy all the way up to the 3DS. I've spoken about Pokemon Blue, uh, Pokemon Gold and X and Ultra Sun, uh, Mario Kart Super Circuit, Mario Kart DS, Kirby's Dream Land several metroid games numerous mario and wario games several zelda games so what handheld game is there yet to talk about oh, i have no idea i think this game is technically the most impressive game on the game boy color by by quite some margin oh. and unlike other games that really push the hardware of the console to its limit this game actually delivered on the gameplay front as well oh! to create an experience that rivals oh! anything i've played on a home console or a PC. (laughs) It was known in Japan as Ghost Baby, Ah! uh, but in the West, it was released as Metal Gear Solid. Unbelievable. (laughs) How how did I forget this game? (laughs) Like, sure. Oh, God. If I'd thought about your list really seriously, of course this was on it. (laughs) When when you were building it up, I still couldn't remember this game existed, and I was like, cannon fodder? I was, I, was trying, I was trying to think of what else you had on the Game Boy Color. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. sake. Of course it's Metal Gear. Now, there were a few very technically impressive games released on the Game Boy Color in similar fashion that were like scaled down ports of like big console games like uh, Tomb Raider and Perfect Dark. And whilst I actually had a really good time with the 2D side-scrolling Tomb Raider games, I think I was more impressed with how big the sprites were than, uh, than you know, was actually enjoying the gameplay. And you know, the ambition to, to support something like Alone in the Dark onto the console was, was admirable, but obviously the, the realisation of it was an abhorrent sin. <laughs> the Perfect Dark Game Boy Colour game as well was, I mean, it was, it was really lacking. Uh, about mm. 10 years ago, it would have been the, the sort of quick mobile tie-in that you'd see accompany a big console launch. But Metal Gear Solid, Contrary to its title, it wasn't an attempt to, uh, you know, condense the PlayStation 1 game onto the handheld. It was actually a continuation of the original Metal Gear game and and the second Metal Gear game themselves, which were, you know, top-down 2D affairs. They simply added the the, the solid suffix uh, in the West to capitalise on the success of the, of, of, of the console game. But uh, but yeah, like I said, it was known as Metal Gear Ghost Babel uh, all through uh, development. And, you know, that that's what I was assuming the game was going to be called when it was released. And then all of, a, all of a sudden, right at the end, it was it was changed to Metal Gear Solid, which yeah, you can understand why they did it. But uh, but yeah, it's not that game. We've all spoken about how games moved to 3D too quickly. And I think it's one of the reasons why I had such an affinity for handhelds. Because it it, it took up until the DS for handheld games to really break into 3D. And it meant that that whilst home consoles were charging ahead with their exploration of the third dimension, developers who were still working on games for the Game Boy, the Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, uh, and, you know, obviously some of the other less successful handheld devices... They were restricted to embracing the confines of 2D gaming, but using modern game design and modern gaming philosophies. I know a lot of people will regard the original Metal Gear Solid as a phenomenal game and an important game from their childhoods. It was on your list, wasn't it, Chris? It was, yeah. No doubt, nostalgia has a lot to answer for in terms of papering over the cracks in the <laughs> in the floors in, in a lot of 32-bit 3D games, uh, their design and their build. I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong, it it was hugely impressive to get a game of that high calibre released on a 32-bit system, 
and it did a lot for pushing the you know uh, narrative-driven games, uh, that sort of subgenre forward. And I mean, I think it was certainly a much more successful 3D outing than Resident Evil, which I've said before about the fixed camera angle thing. It, is, it compromised so many gameplay elements just to get the game appear sort of like it's in 3D. But Hideo Kojima was involved in the development of the Game Boy Color game, and he's he's cited as as an executive producer, not as the director, but he said that he didn't want to leave it just to a sub-team to get on with, because he wanted to see if he could overcome the restrictions of the hardware limitations and convey a story that would stand shoulder-to-shoulder with its console counterpart. I mean that that's what I think a true creative does is they 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 find themselves challenges. Like one of the things that the Russo brothers uh, mentioned when they were developing the last two Avengers films was with Infinity War the script they deliberately wrote themselves into a corner going I don't know how we're going to get out of this so that they had to find a way to get the story out of where it was to where they wanted to end it why they deliver and Hideo Kojima's ambition to tackle such a big vision for a game and for a story and what he thought video games should be and to do that on a Game Boy Color like my god he really delivers it's similar to what I said about Golden Sun it's 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 a game that just it doesn't care that it's just on the Game Boy Color now remarkably when this game was released the classification board just gave it an E rating (laughs) and I mean I'm assuming that somebody just went through a stack of papers for Game Boy Color games with their big red E stamp and just batched the whole lot assuming that you know oh it's a kids console and the games are for kids but in the opening of the game just right in the opening just before you even start the game you're talking about uh, alcohol abuse murder terrorists nuclear war throughout the game there's this profanity talk of uh, patricide ethnic cleansing it's without a doubt the darkest game i played on the game boy color i mean probably on any handheld device for for many many years I mean, unless there was, I don't know if there was that, uh, an engage port of Manhunt that uh, I don't know about. <laughs> uh, well, I, I remember when the game came out, we, uh, me and you, Chris, and our little group of friends in school, I remember me and you, we got the ROM of it like a fair way before it was released in the UK. And uh, and yeah, in our little group of friends, there, there was a fair bit of buzz about it because I think, you know, some of us had PlayStations and Metal Gear Solid. And I, mean, I remember just being so blown away by, by playing it on an emulator that I... I decided I really wanted a copy of it and and just and to be able to play it on my Game Boy Color on the go, uh, you know, when I want. And and I don't want the screen to be backlit while I'm playing it. You know, <laughs> I, oh, give it to me all scratched up and dark. I only want to see it a portion of the time. <laughs> How God intended. <laughs> and when it was released in the UK, I, I placed an order for it. And for some reason, when I came into school and I, 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 I told one of our friends that I bought it, he just didn't believe me. Like I said I bought it and he just went no you haven't I, was, I mean obviously it was, it was it was pretty easy for me to prove it because like a couple of days later I brought it in and he was like oh I really didn't think you'd bought it idiot <laughs> I'll touch on the story of the game briefly I don't really want to say too much because the, the twists and the turns that it, it plays throughout the game are what made it such a remarkable experience I mean on, on, on top of it being just a real technical showcase for what the Game Boy Color was capable of the story serves as an alternate sequel to the events of the original Metal Gear, and it, it's set seven years after that game's event. And, and I would I'd like to read read to you the uh, the, the prologue from uh, from the game's manual. Remember manuals? Oh, we love them. Oh, I love, we love them here at R Three Cents. Early twenty first century, which is probably in the past now. I yeah, guess, it actually, is. Yeah. Uh, oh. Thinking about it, 
early 21st century, an incident of unprecedented magnitude sent shockwaves through the highest levels of the US government. A prototype bipedal armoured vehicle, Metal Gear, has been seized along with its nuclear payload by an armed group. In a radical response to the crisis situation, the government calls in Solid Snake, the master saboteur who single-handedly brought down the fortress state of Outer Heaven seven years ago. I didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> it's still the only game of that series that I've played, so I had no. I still don't have a touchstone for actually its impact in terms of the overall Metal Gear story, but. It, from the sounds of it, it sounds like basically what you have to do in, in most games, which is single-handedly bring down a whole load of forces who have got a super-powered nuclear robot. I mean, that's it's the plot of a lot of films. It's the plot of a lot of games. But the brilliant thing about it is that even though it was continuing on from this, it was touching on, obviously, the, the, sort of the, 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 the parallel story of Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1. It was so self-contained that you could just go along for the ride. I mean, I, I did. It sets out a whole bunch of new characters for this universe. Uh, you've got your comrades on hand via the codec. And, I mean, despite the Game Boy screen only being able to contain about three words at a time, I, I was surprised at how engaging it was to follow the story through these, like, pretty lengthy dialogue scenes. And just, a, you know, some flickering green images. And, <laughs> I mean, hundreds of screens of text. <laughs> like, I mean, the dialogue was really well written. It with yeah, clearly had considered characters... And it's still, I reckon it's probably still up there with like the most amount of time I've spent reading in a game. I mean, certainly on a handheld. And I mean, like on that tiny little dark scratched up screen, you know, I mean, I remember that rumour that said if you rub Brasso on a Game Boy Color screen, you could get the scratches off. That's not true. <laughs> um, it's not true. I really had to look through a lot of fudge to, to, to read this, but it was an absolute joy to do it because it was just, it was, yeah, it was just so well written. Like the start of the story is just really exciting. You're you're parachuted into this wilderness area as Snake. You've got to infiltrate all these different facilities as you slowly work to disengage Metal Gear. And I mean the variety of environments is quite staggering. There's there's rooms filled with poison gas, there's security cameras to avoid, electrified floors. There's there's even a whole section in some sewers that uh you're having to like avoid waves of water flooding you away. You also have thermal goggles that you can get. And oh, there's some brilliant sections of the game where uh, you can like knock out the power and it, the whole screen turns dark. You whack on your thermal goggles. Everything turns like red tinted and you can sort of see laser beams and you can see like, you know, the heat signatures of enemies and stuff. I mean, this is like Game Boy Color. It's mental. <laughs> it's mental. And okay, another thing about the Game Boy Color, there's like there's two buttons. You've got an A and a B where you've got a start and a select as well. And the moveset for Snake was so advanced for, I mean, for a Game Boy Color. I mean, you could just do so many movements in the game, just like to help you operate as stealthily as possible. It's not just the variety, it's the fact that it was actually useful to make most use out of it as well. Like, you can flatten yourself against walls, you can knock on them to produce decoy noises, you can lie prostrate on the ground, uh, so you can, like, commando crawl and hide in grass and swim underwater. You can even do the classic hiding in a cardboard box trick that Snake is famous for apparently mm. and i mean like in terms of combat there was loads of options as well like you could use hand-to-hand -hand combat to knock guards out you've got a range of guns grenades remote control plastic explosive mines you, there's you've got the nikita which is like this guided rocket launcher and when you fire it you then get direct control over the missile and that is an 
absolute riot to play with. There, I mean, <laughs> the game takes full advantage of all of these mechanics in every single scenario that you're in. I don't know how they managed to get crammed so much into this game. And that's not even mentioning the boss fights. I mean, they were really, really exciting. You've got to take down surviving rogue members of Foxhound, which is a thing, apparently. You've got Slasher Hawk, a boomerang-throwing Australian mercenary. There's Marionette Owl, who's a serial killer who likes to hide in ceramic dolls. There's the flamethrower-wielding juggernaut Pyro Bison, who ends up burning himself alive in fits of hysterical ecstasy. There's Black Arts Viper, who has a bionic arm. I mean, it's just outstandingly well-crafted. Like, the depth of the story and the brilliance of the writing fuels your imagination to fill in the gaps between the limited pixels on the Game Boy screen. And, I mean, it's all aided by a stellar soundtrack as well. But it's, I mean, it's really cinematic. It's really dramatic and makes the most of the incredibly basic Game Boy Color sound chip. But, I mean, crucially for a game that is so focused on story and providing you with a, a proper mature video game experience, it feels good to play and it doesn't forget that it's a game. Like, you've got several difficulty levels to tackle the game on. You get a rating on completion of each level, depending on how many times you are caught or how injured you got and how quickly you beat the level. And then you get, like, an overall ranking at the end of the game as well. So there's lots of inclination to play through it time and time and again. Try and get the elusive big boss ranking if you manage to uh, to get an excellent ranking, I think, on all of the all of the levels. There's hidden collectibles to find on all the levels, which I didn't even realise there were until about my fourth or fifth playthrough of the game. And one of the biggest things that was in the game, to add to its longevity, is something that I know was a big favourite feature in the PlayStation games. And that's the VR missions, where you're spawned into a volume to complete training missions that see you explore all the different facets of Snake's movement and weapon abilities, and has you test them in, in increasingly difficult setups. There's a staggering 180 VR missions in this game. That's okay. It's, how do they fit it all on the cartridge? It's mental. It's absolutely mental. I mean, and I happily spent hours playing through them all, ticking them all off as I chiseled my way through them. And if that wasn't enough, like if that wasn't enough content from all of that, there was even a versus mode, and you could play with a link cable with with a mate, and it sees you try and race your opponent to defeat some. I think it's some drones that are flying around a map. And uh, whoever downs three of them first, I think, and gathers the data disks they drop and then reaches the goal before the other person wins. And and it was good. It was a good mode. There's a real skill in developing games to just hit the cusp of what hardware is capable of. Because if you just go a fraction too far, then you expose its weaknesses and all of a sudden you feel like your experience is compromised. You start to lose you start to lose faith in what the game is doing and the experience that you're having. And the audacity to think that the Game Boy Color could be pushed to these limits. Because no other game on the Game Boy Color does this to this level. You know, for for, for them to go, actually we think it can do even more than it's done on some incredibly impressive games. I mean, even just looking at the Pokemon games and the Zelda games. You know, to go, actually, no, we can do even more. And then to deliver on that and deliver such a rock solid experience that you, yeah, you never for one minute doubt anything that you can do in the game because it gives you so many options to play the game however you want. And no matter how you want to do that, it delivers. Like for so many years, I always said that I was more of a handheld gamer than a home console gamer. And I always, I always sought out the most technically advanced games 
almost so that I could justify myself to everyone else that a Game Boy could really deliver as much as a home console. Like, I love the ambition of games like Tomb Raider and Perfect Dark. It's why Donkey Kong Country on the Game Boy Color is so dear to me, and it featured on my list, you know, above the SNES version. And even though games like Baseball 2000 or Alone in the Dark play like wading through a miasmatic swamp, I still really appreciate how far they were pushing the console. And on the occasion where phenomenal technical scope was matched with a phenomenally ambitious level of gameplay quality, for, for me, Metal Gear Ghost Babel stands alone. This game is a monumental achievement for the handheld console. I, I truly believe it is the best handheld game ever made. And it's my sixth favourite video game of all time. I can't argue with Why? that. <laughs> like, I, I didn't play it anywhere near as much as you did. Yeah. As you say, Metal Gear Solid, compared to, say, Perfect Dark, it's it's close in terms of what they're both trying to do. Mm. And Perfect Dark is, at best, like a 3 out of 10 experience. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not fun to play. It looks quite impressive, but, you know, your character sprite is the whole screen. So you, you're just constantly <laughs> yeah. getting shot by things you can't see. Yeah. And, and the team that did Metal Gear Solid went, that won't be fun. Yeah. We know that won't be fun. So let's actually make the screen. Let's... Let's just use the real estate we have. We know this is a limited resolution, so let's make the characters smaller. Let's yeah. actually make it so you've got a proper view of the battlefield or whatever stage you're on, so you can actually plan your approach in the same way you do in the home console version. Mm. It's just a team that totally understood the brief and then just went above and beyond. <laughs> a, a very, very impressive title, and, and one that I'm still astounded I forgot existed. <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel utterly ashamed <laughs> genuinely <laughs> I, I feel angry at myself that i never even had this in my prospective jonathan dunn list because <laughs> as i said it was always going to be here yeah madness well why don't you why don't you make it up to me by whacking it on an emulator now and uh, and giving it a play and t- tell me what you make of it with uh, 2021 oh, yeah I, I i might do that because i don't think i've ever got further than maybe like the fourth or fifth mission in I do remember the sewers whenever that point was. Mm. I don't know if I got that much further than that because that was quite a frustrating part of the game. Mm. Sort of like hiding in the storm drains before you know the, the water comes by and washes right, you yeah. away. So I, I don't know if I got much further than that, but maybe now I could sort of persevere and actually think of it in a, in a different way. Because as you say, I'm, I'm playing with 20 extra years of experience in terms of games and, and understanding <laughs> of the industry. Yeah. And, and if anything, it will just make the experience more impressive to know that was on a, a console that was essentially a you know a scientific calculator at best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Did you ever play a Minty? Do you know what? I've never played a single Metal Gear game apart from the demo of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater on the 3DS. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got no, no no I've got no real opinion on the series at all, but I do know that it's 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 lauded for being these 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 great these great narrative games. But I think the thing that I've that I picked up on most from your description was just that idea of a game that says, "Yes, you can play it this way." Mm. Oh, that's the good stuff, isn't it? Oh yeah. Like, a game that doesn't doesn't try to railroad you in terms of your own personal enjoyment. A game that gives you all of the uh, all of the movement mechanics in 180 VR missions. Mm. Madness. I mean, I still remember. I still remember exactly the moment when I read one of the. I mean, there's several plot twists in the game, 
but there was one in particular and I, I, can, I can recall that moment so specifically I know exactly where I was sitting uh, <laughs> when I read it I knew what I was doing when I when I read it that's a moment in game in, in video gaming how many other moments are there where you can go like oh you know I know where I was when 9-11 happened or when you know <laughs> Michael Jackson died you can recall where you were at these times yeah, yeah. and like with moments in video gaming how many of those are, are etched so clearly in your memory yet this game did that amazing absolutely amazing i'm so so glad to have had the opportunity to talk about it as well and hopefully if you're listening to this and you haven't experienced it then there's a really good run of it on uh games done quick uh, a year or two ago watch that or even better find a way to play it and play it i'll definitely check out the run for sure it's only about an hour and a half he's going for big boss uh ranking as well on very on the hardest difficulty ah. he doesn't get it but he does very, <laughs> he does very well yeah. <laughs> So there we have it. That was my sixth favourite video game of all time. And it was Metal Gear Ghost Babel or Metal Gear Solid on the Game Boy Color. Oh yeah. Good. If you've enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms. Tell some friends about it. Invite people to, to engage with us on our social media platforms as is what you're free to do as well. Facebook.com slash R3Cents. You can chat to us there about anything that you're playing. Feedback on these episodes questions you might like us to answer in a future episode doing another call out for your top 10 favorite video games of all time we're planning to collate those into a special episode uh, near the end of this series and we, we'd love to hear what what your opinions are and what you love the most we also have a youtube channel go to youtube search for our three cents and you can find all our amazing video content there and we have an instagram channel at o3c podcast stuff on there as well other bits and bobs and you can take us to task individually. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, please do check out our Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash our three cents. And consider pledging a few pennies for some perks. We'd love that. And please do join us next week when we will be joined by one of the development staff from Bolverk Studios in Denmark, who are the company that developed the recent ball-rolling indie game Glyph on the Nintendo Switch and other platforms as well. Fantastic ball-rolling game, and they'll be joining us for a special episode dedicated to the history and lineage of ball rolling in video games i, I i'm so ex- i'm so excited for it i think it's going to be a real real treat hopefully you won't miss out because you'll be here listening to it so so there yeah take that and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor on the Super Nintendo Dad's Entertainment Podcast, catch us grumbling about the news every Monday on the Morning Dadcast, chatting with industry professionals, and most importantly, teaching our kids just how incredible or horrible 80s and 90s video game and pop culture truly was. All right, what else you got? The Sega Slingshot. <laughs> Don't have a cow, man. <laughs> the blast processing was really fast. Why can knuckles fly even? Tide Prondo. What does that even mean? Samurai Pizza Cats. Gabe, we almost named you Guido Anchovy. <laughs> Doing a Belvedere requires a set of low hangers. I'm gonna die! <laughs> right here on Greenlit. There are a lot of podcasts with comic book reviews and interviews with some of the greatest creators in the industry, but only one will tell you scientifically what the worst comic book of all time is. And the best. We've been ranking comic book stories for six years. 
We have a list with over a thousand comics on it, and we're adding more every month. More Rocket Ajax on the Greenlit Podcast Network.